and then I'll keep running, running, and 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 running, running, Everybody and welcome to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast, episode 224. This is the bonus coverage episode that I promised at the end of the last episode because me and Brandon weren't able to talk so long because he was having baby problems. He was having the baby problems. So, well, I'm going to do this episode where I'm going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 49 slash Legacy number 850, as well as going through Star Wars number 7, The Rise of Ultraman number 2, and Thor number 8. But before I do that, let me tell you where you can find us. Brandon, he's up in Buffalo. I I can't speak for him. I can't really say what he's doing. I was only in Buffalo one time in my life as I was on a hockey trip heading towards Toronto and the Hockey Hall of Fame. And we ended up going to a Buffalo Sabres Montreal Canadiens game, and we got kicked out of what was back then the odd, one of the worst stadiums I've ever been in. So, again, I can't say anything for Brandon, but I can tell you that if you go over to Twitter at WS Marvel Comics, if you follow us, we'll follow you back, and we could talk about comics and all sorts of things, including my trip to Buffalo. And getting kicked out of the odd. I'll I'll even tell you why if you message me. But say, hey, that's just that. But we're also on a website that is weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com where you can go and read reviews if that's what you're into. If you want to go retro. Is reading reviews now, like, are the hipsters taking that over? Like, listening to stuff on vinyl. Is that what happens? I think so, right? You end up having a scarf, a little Van Dyke facial hair you read the reviews pretend you're fancy i know when i'm writing them i don't feel fancy i feel tired is what i feel we also have a patreon account where you can support us for all the stuff that we do and get a lot more that's at patreon.com slash weird science one of the things that we do each and every week is we get together and we go through usually two books that are picked by the badasses of the get fresh croupy poop And that is what we call the Marvel Comics Patreon-only spotlight. This past week, they picked Champions Number 1, a big book, Eve Ewing's book coming out of Outlawed, and also Deadpool Number 6. Kelly Thompson's not-so-big-a-book, but hey, it's starting kind of or continuing the story with Deadpool and Elsa Bloodstone. But then after I did those two... I ended up throwing in bonus coverage for that as well and did Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 19, that I really did enjoy. But you'll have to go over to patreon.com slash weird science if you want to check those out. Plus, a lot of other things, uh, including a lot of Marvel stuff, some comic stuff in general, DC, indie. We have non-comic stuff as well. One of the things that I did want to talk about is next week, I'm going to be getting together with my man from the Get Fresh crew to talk about a little movie called The Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's Michael G that I'm going to be going with. I I don't know why I didn't say his name, but me and Michael G are going to be doing a movie review 
on Guardians of the Galaxy. I've not really done many movie reviews, so that is something that uh, we're going to work in. I'm going to try to do stuff. I, I talk a lot of times on this podcast and everything else I do that I can't sit through a movie to save my life, but Guardians of the Galaxy, one of my favorite movies of all time, gave me the feels that I did have when I saw New Hope or just Star Wars is what it was called back in the day. But I'm not going to go on and on and on because we have a bunch of books here to talk about, including a very oversized issue, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 850 slash 49 slash all that stuff. So let's get into that right about now. Yes, I should know By the way you write your comments These days the story lasts The expenses kind of rattle But believe them common hints Was barely even in the past I guess I must be dumb Cause I've gone with this big issue It gets offensive to use I really don't want to fight But I see I wasn't right And you said, baby You got to dollars to lose Ah, yes, and we do not get much kindred here. There's a spoiler alert. But I'm going to go through this issue. It's an oversized issue. It's got a couple backups. We'll concern ourselves mainly with the main story. That is... Amazing Spider-Man number 49, Legacy 850, written by Nick Spencer, pencils by Ryan Otley, Umberto Ramos, and Mark Bagley, inks by Cliff Rathburn, Victor Olazaba, and John Dell, colors by Nathan Fairbairn, Edgar Delgado, and David Coriel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. Previously, thanks to the mysterious villain Kindred, Sin Eater is back and more dangerous than ever. He's cleansing criminals of their sins and their powers, leaving them reformed. So with the powers of villains like Whirlwind, Living Laser, Count Nefaria, Overdrive, and Mr. Negative, among others, Sin Eater set his sights on Ravencroft Institute for the Criminally Insane. His ultimate target is the super prison's current director, Norman Osborn. So he's heading to Ravencroft to cleanse Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin of his sins, and that would make him not become Green Goblin. And that's where you get a lot of the back and forth between Peter Norman and also the Order of the Web, which we will mention in a second. Many in New York City think what Sinner is doing is laudable and have joined him. We call those people pieces of crap, right? Wearing green masks that they're of their new hero, but Spider-Man doesn't trust the cop killer. Now, he actually hasn't trusted him since Overdrive. He'd never trust him anyway. It's all pushed to be like, well, you know, look at that senator. He's got the Peter's not going to trust him anyway. His spider friends calling themselves the Order of the Web are torn with Ravencross, most powerful inmate, the unstoppable juggernaut shot down by senator's gun. Can Spider-Man and his arch nemesis turn ally the Green Goblin stand the chance? So you get a very uh, big issue. You end up having a lot of pages here, even without the backup. It's a pretty sizable issue or backups. And, you know, I thought we were going to get a little more Kindred. We do not. We see Kindred at the end, mainly doing Kindred stuff as he always does, or she saying, 
Yeah, look at you, Peter. Uh, I set this up good. Ah, I'm going off. So we'll have to wait for that. What we end up doing is ending the Sin Eater arc. I don't think it's satisfactorily ended. I think that it's ended in a been there, done there, that moment. And it's also just kind of forced because what the big thing of this issue is, is Green Goblin. The return of Green Goblin, Peter and Norman working together. And one of the things that upsets me by the end, I wish that we ended up having this whole team up continue for a little out of this issue going on a little you end up having the order of the web they're pissed off they want peter to pretty much allow sin eater to cleanse the sins of norman slash green goblins that he can't become him anymore peter just can't bring himself to let that happen that's not right i'm kind of with the order of the web but still you end up having this whole deal of the order of the web you know keep telling them but Peter's big deal, and Peter has been having nightmares about Kindred, so has Madam Web about Kindred. The rest are having nightmares about the whole deal with Norman, so I get it. But I wish that Peter coming out of this, Peter and Norman, kind of work together and then maybe see very quickly or, you know, let it go for a little that Norman may not be as, you know, rehabilitated, may not be as down with Peter as we thought, and then have, you know, the eventual return and fights and things like that because it's very quick in this and this issue pretty much is a series of fights and trash talking that's what it really is there are some good story moments some character moments as well especially between norman and peter but it's all taking place in fights so visually it's very exciting you have a lot of things going on a lot of things being thrown at you and i like the art throughout this even in the backups too uh but you end up Pretty much having Norman say the only way we're going to beat this whole Sin Eater army and Sin Eater with the power of the Juggernaut is for me to take the serum, become Green Goblin again, and me and you will team up. You know, this is a big moment. It happens right away. And they end up starting to fight. And you end up Norman turns into Green Goblin. He's got a lot of time to make up for. He jumps right on the glider. He's throwing pumpkin bombs everywhere but from Sunday. And he ends up hitting a guy, and you expect this guy to get hit, and it's going to be a Private Ryan, saving Private Ryan situation where he's looking for his arm because his arms get blown up, but then they just grow back. And Peter's like, oh, that's crazy. And then they move on. Well, while all this is going on, you have the Order of the Web watching through like an astral projection through the web, watching what is going on, but not interacting just yet. They're going to wait until they really need to interact, but you end up having Sin Eater with the power of the Juggernaut comes up. He, he not only has the power of the Juggernaut, but also has, for some reason, his head in the bulbous big fashion of Kane Marco's helmet and also has no neck, all the stuff. So he looks like, you know, he looks like the Juggernaut. It's Sin Eater. And where I start to wonder about all this, is this like a video game? Sin Eater uses his gun, shoots somebody like Juggernaut. He gets the power of the Juggernaut. Can he then just use also Mr. Negative's power still? Can he actually use, you know, Count Nefaria's power so that he's not as big and disgusting as he is as the juggernaut powers I, I don't know and really what you end up having is peter figuring out the only way he can stop a sin eater with the power of the juggernaut is the way he wants to feed at the juggernaut 
And that's the been there, done that moment of Sin Eater's demise here. And I thought, well, you know, can he stop being power juggernaut? Can he switch? Does he have like a deal? Does he have to find another power up? I don't know. But with that, you end up having a team up. You end up having Peter say to Norman, listen, you're Green Goblin again. I don't like you. I don't like this whole deal, but you can't kill people. We're a team. You got to follow rules. Come on, let's go. And they start fighting Sin Eater. Now, at first, they're fighting them, and they're not a really good team. They're they're not used to being a team. You know, they're just thrown together here. Uh, and they're doing their own thing. They're running into each other. They have diff- so you end up having Sin Eater. He he's winning. He he is going to kill them. Well, you end up where you have Goblin throw some bombs. Let's distract. You know. Th- Sin Eater, and then Peter just brings down the roof, and they're under, you know, in a couple levels down in Ravencroft, so he brings down the roof, which does stop Sin Eater a bit, also ends up having both Goblin and Peter underneath rubble and concrete, and this is where we get some pretty good moments here, and I think this is one of the better moments of the issue you end up having the order of the web they want to go and help and you know madam web no 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 it's not our time yet just wait we're not going to get involved yet and you end up having norman as he gets out of the rubble and goes and sees that peter is trapped he starts telling peter you know what happened and how he looks at things between the two of them and you do have this skewed deal i mean norman green goblin crazy he's you know murderous all these bad things But one of the things he blames Peter because at one point he went to Peter and said, hey, I I need your help. You know, I'm Norman Osborn. I'm the Green Goblin. And I I just I can't take this. I need some help. You're the only one who I think might be able to understand my situation. Peter shunned him. Peter sent him away. Peter ended up what Norman says. That's when I cracked. That's when my illness, all that cracked. Yeah, I got amnesia points and all that, which was the trope back in the day. But also then. Not only did Spider-Man shun Green Goblin, Peter shunned Norman, he also ended up saving his life then. And this has pissed off Norman since. This is what really cracked him because how dare a hero, how dare you you save my life making me in debt to you? Like, I'm Chewbacca, you're Han Solo, life debt, but we're not buddies flying around the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I'm on my goblin glider. You're spinning your webs and stuff like we're enemies and you saved my life. And I haven't been able to get over that. This is nonsense. So you end up having Norman pick up all the concrete, all that from Peter and said, we're we're even Steven now. I saved your life now. There's no more life debt. We are free and clear. And this is where I wanted. Okay, you had him tell Peter all the problems, you know, that they had and why, Peter, you could have just accepted me and helped me and none of this crap would have happened. Um, And I wish that that would have went on for some bit longer. They end up going down below into what Norman was doing below Ravencroft with his lair. He had his goblin lair, but he has even more stuff. He ends up having an electromagnetic pulse that could just take out all of the eastern seaboard's electric he also has a canal built. He's got a submarine slash boat. He's got a lot of stuff. What were you doing down here, Norman? He's like, you know, I get bored. I do things and stuff. Well, 
you end up having Sin Eater come down. You're not going to stop him. He has the power of the unstoppable juggernaut. So he does get down there. They start attacking again. And the only thing that Peter can figure out, I stopped juggernaut once. He kind of got stuck in the mud and stuff. So I think that we'll do that again. You'll use that electronic pulse, the compression generator that you have made, Norman. You go over and you hit it at the right time. Cause pretty much an earthquake down here that will liquefy the rock mud and it'll make the steel the goop all that where sin eater with the juggernaut powers will get stuck in that that's how i ended up beating juggernaut before so really in my mind you're not even really stopping sin eater here you're stopping sin eater because of the power of juggernaut which peter had done before and it kind of ends up uh, falling flat for me what doesn't fall flat though and i like this idea it, it goes by again a lot of these things with a longer issue still go by too quickly is you end up having norman run over to the compression generator he needs some time of course to do what he has to do you end up having peter then get between both sin eater and norman because this allows cinder he has his gun a little tiny gun it looks like now the shotgun and he's going to shoot norman he's going to cleanse him of his sins peter steps between them and then Again, in a in a way that felt of too much, been there, done that from a couple pages ago, says, hey there, you know, hey there, Sin Eater. I remember at one point you got out of the hospital, out of jail, and you came to me for help. You wanted me to help you, and I rejected you. I chose not to believe you. I was angry. I was afraid. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I'm the one responsible for what happened to you, Stan. Your death is on my hands. All these things going down. And you're like, okay, well, we just kind of had this deal with Norman. Now you're throwing it here. Maybe it's just like, oh, kind of worked then almost. But you end up where he says, just if you're going to cleanse somebody, cleanse me. My sin of what I did to you, you can cleanse me. But that we've already established, number one, that Sin Eater isn't allowed to do anything to Peter. He's not allowed. He, he's been told by Kindred that Kindred gets Spider-Man. Kindred gets Peter, not Sinier. So he's like, no, that's not what we're going to do. Ends up just punching Peter out of the way. And he's about to shoot Norman. But you end up where Norman hits the deal. Earthquake starting all this stuff as Peter and Stan start fighting. Sinier's trying to get there. And yeah, the floor starts to liquefy. As they said, they're going down in this mud. And that does take care of Sin Eater. Sin Eater done. We'll see what happens later, what goes down with that. But I don't know. I don't know. Juggernaut might have the power to be unstoppable, but can he breathe mud? So you end up having Sin Eater down, but you have Peter. He's struggling. He's trying to get up. And that's where you get the turn where Norman comes over and shoves Peter's head down into the mud, drowning him, just pushing him down where you end up, Peter, like, Hey, save me. He's like, oh, no, no. Life, that's over. I did that before. We're even Steven now. I'm going to kill you. And then does that. So this is where you had the, you know, the astral projection of the order. They just come in. They come in at the time they need to now and save Peter. Well, now everything's coming down. So they run off and get into Norman's, you know, Green Goblin submarine. And they head off. Norman's with them. So they're there. They're going to figure this out. The Order of the Web still wants to take care, quote unquote, take care of Norman going through all this. And as they're going out, 
you end up having Norman realize, hmm, yeah, I heard somebody call this ghost spider Gwen. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on here, but I think you're Gwen Stacy. And, you know, me and you, not you, but the version we had here, we got real personal. I mean, things were great between us. And, you know, sometimes things happen, but... You know, later on, we, we had some real personal t- And it, it kind of hints at all of the craziness that you had going on with both Norman and Gwen. Peter, he doesn't want to hear any of this. He says, you know, you don't talk to her, get away. But then you end up having all this stuff going. And Peter realizes that, yeah, Green Goblin, he is not up to any good. He's going to kill. This is what they were saying all along. They've been telling him this. Now, all of a sudden, when he sees... Okay, he's saying all this stuff to Gwen there. He ends up having plans to do something to Empire State. I mean, really, this is trouble. So he hits the eject button. The, the, the door opens, and he just throws him out into the lake, into the river, into the water. And like, what did you do? Ah, I made a different choice. And they just he just threw him out. And so then you go off then to end this. With some narration, Kindred there, same deal where he's at that graveyard. He's talking his stuff about how people don't stay buried now, no matter how deep you lay them in the ground. All these things going on, as you also see, you know, Norman's head pop up as the boat goes off and things. So you kind of do this whole deal. And I like stuff that happened in it. There's some big stuff. And I thought some of the stuff was really good between Peter and Norman. But then at the end, you're just like, okay, I'm going to throw him out so we we lose, you know, he can go off and do his evil stuff. And then Kendra just sits there and talks his crap again. I I actually expected a lot more. So that Sin Eater, he's just, you know, I I just don't understand. You're the power of Juggernaut, but that doesn't mean, I guess, you can't turn into anything else. Like I said, is it only one power at a time and you can't change until the next? Eh, But he's, he's in the mud. And then you get some backups, and, and the backups are okay. It, it, to me, you end up, because you have about 60 pages, you want to get it close to that 100 page so you can up the ante here, you can charge more. So you have a Kurt Busey, a Chris Bocciolo a story that uh, has a lot of references to the Beatles, which which I like. I love the Beatles. You have a weird story, Four Shoes, by Trad Moore. Uh, who writes and the art in it that's about this alternate dimension deal with the it's wacky and then you have a family affair saladin ahmed and aaron cooter and that's about starling and the idea in that i think and i'll just talk a second about that to end this is that you end up having starling seemingly showing up in the champions book but then you're like wait a second you know her her dad or her grandfather is the vulture there could be problems and this is basically a story to have peter say to stone you you should look into your grandfather he's not so good i think it's just to separate those two for the champions deal but yeah overall this isn't bad it's ten dollars it's 9.99 here in the states and i don't know that i can say that it's it's worth that especially if you're you're pinching pennies but it's good enough for the Goblin stuff and the Norman stuff, but the Sin Eater stuff I thought fell a little flat. The art looks great throughout, and you, you just get Kindred again in the end, just like he always does. It's the generic Kindred, ah, oh, where do you find out, Peter? I'm setting things up, and who you can't keep things buried. I'm like, really? 
thought we were going to get a little more than that. But overall, I'm going to give it a 6-5. That's me kind of being positive. I did like the art a lot, but... You didn't really have a great ending to the Sin Eater stuff. You didn't get any kindred until the very end. And I did like the stuff with Green Goblin. I like the stuff between Norman and Peter. But is that enough? Really? I mean, really, you had the Sin Eater stuff that did lead to Green Goblin. But deal if anybody even cares. But what we really want is kindred. We didn't get that. And then even the Sin Eater stuff, I wanted to see how that was going to end, what it was all about, the power sets, all those things. And then you just end up ending it because he got the power of the juggernaut, which should have elevated the character. Instead, it handcuffs him when Peter uses the, as I said earlier, been there, done that deal. This is how I dealt with juggernaut himself. So I'll deal with Sydney juggernaut the same way. Let's go. And then it just becomes Norman. And even that, the whole setup with Norman just kind of gets shoved aside as Peter gets pissed off about him talking to Gwen, Empire State, out the door he goes so that he can be a villain later. So overall, I was a bit disappointed with this. Again, still like the art, and I did like some of the interactions between Peter and Norman, but overall, I think that this was not the greatest. I'm going to go off now to talk the other books. I'm not going to talk full out on those because this being the bigger issue, but We'll go next. I think that we'll talk about The Rise of Ultraman number two. And The Rise of Ultraman number two is written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom. Art by Francisco Mana. Colors by Espen Grudengin. And letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. And yes, I said Grudengin, right? Yeah. And with this, I'm not even going to read the recap. I really like the first issue. Uh, It had a lot of, you know, little Easter eggs for people who actually enjoyed the old, old Ultraman TV show, especially, but also had some modern things with it, too. And I really liked the start of it, but you end up having Shin, Kiki, the two main characters. Shin ends up trying to take down, in a way that he's forced into, take down this alien Ultraman. And ends up kind of being sucked in. This is a story that most people who would know Ultraman kind of gets the idea of what is going on. That he is going to become Ultraman. Now, you end up having Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom. They're working in some conspiracy stuff. Some stuff with the United Science Patrol that is not necessarily on the up and up. Which it seems that you're going to get Kiki, Shin, Ultraman, and Captain Maramatsu to kind of join together to maybe take down the United Science Patrol, at least figure out what they're up to. And I I really liked the start. I really did. I thought it was well done. I thought that the art was really good. You learn about the characters quickly. You get into it. And overall, not a ton happened, but you get Shin there being absorbed into the alien, into the Ultraman. Now, in this issue, you pretty much just now have Kiki... And it's Kiki and Captain Morimatsu going off to try to figure out what might have happened to Shin and how it relates to back in the years past where they had the first extraterrestrial deal, the first Ultraman deal come down while you end up having Shin in the Mindscape deal with Ultraman where Ultraman is trying to decide and it's just Ultra 
it will become Ultraman joining up with Shin. But trying to decide, you know, if humanity is worth saving, are they evolved enough? Can they do this? The whole thing revolves around the kaijus that are coming up and things like that. Well, you end up having this deal where you're getting flashbacks of Kiki and Shin as they're growing up. They want to become part of the USP once they kind of discover them. It's kind of, again, they're they're kind of chasing conspiracy theories and things like that. And it just ends up with the USP, the Science Patrol, after both Kiki and Captain Muramatsu, while Shin convinces Ultra to let's combine, let's go, hey, you know. And, and the whole thing ends up being where Ultra, like, listen, you humanity, the reason why the kaiju come here, the reason why you have trouble, because you're so hate-filled, nobody wants to change, all this. Shin, I can change, look at me. And you go through all of the recap that you saw, because he's going through scenes. It's like his life is flashing before him, because they are dying. If they don't combine, if they don't, if Shin doesn't let Ultra end up taking control, they will die. So he ends up where Shin's like, well, you already showed the evidence of how I could change. Like, I was scared. But then I was excited. I was jealous but that Kiki ended up becoming part of the USP, but I didn't let that stop the love of our friendship. Look, I can change. I can do these things. Yes, I'm trying. Humanity, yeah, we're kind of a conundrum here, right? But well, we can do this. And the big thing was if Shin would give control over to Ultra, he can save him. But Shin, I don't know about this. And, oh, this is what happens all the time. And he ends up giving the control over to Ultra. They're going to become one man and Ultra. That means Ultraman. But you also end up, like I said, with Kiki going off with Captain Mora. I keep saying Moramatsu. And she ends up kind of unraveling a conspiracy from that original deal way back in time. So. It's okay. It just this issue of the excitement that I had in the first issue. I really this one was kind of a slog to get through. You end up having to do more character work here and a lot of backup recap stuff like that flashbacks because you didn't have it in the first issue. But I I just would have maybe liked to see, you know, Shin inside Ultra and Ultra's like, listen, we're going to die. I'm going to have to combine and then just become Ultraman and then deal with the stuff. You know, the kaiju and what the Ultra are all about, trying to save the universe and things after that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I didn't really like it that much. I, I almost didn't talk about it. But because I liked the first issue so much, I just wanted to talk. And I'm telling you, if you haven't read this, and I, I don't know how many people will read this second issue, you're not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. With, with you know, starting back in 1966 with this original Ultra coming down, Earth didn't know what was going on, they end up destroying But even that, the new Ultra with Shin in the present Kind of getting mixed signals about what his brother did back in 66 And what might have happened, things like that So it's okay, if you're reading it already I think that you'll get this And I, I would guess that you would think the same with me And hope that issue 3 picks up again Picks up some fun because this is only 5 issues and now we're two in, and I think this one takes a little bit too long to get to anything. I need Ultraman. I don't want to have Ultraman pop up in issue five. I would have liked to have had Ultraman right now have the whole, you know, fun of trying to figure out how this works and stuff like that. But overall, I'm going to give it a six out of ten, which is way, way lower 
than what I gave the first issue. But I'm going to go off now to Star Wars number seven. And Star Wars number seven is written by Charles Sewell, art by Ramon Rosanas, colors by Rachel Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, The Will of Tarkin, part one. The heroic rebel alliance is scattered and on the run from the evil galactic empire after losing the Battle of Hoth. Princess Leia attempts to rally her friends before all hope is lost. The freedom of the galaxy is at stake. But their cunning new foe, Commander Zara, will stop at nothing to crush the rebellion once and for all. And we start off with the idea, again, that the rebel fleet, they're scattered. You end up having the fourth division. That is where Leia, Luke, C-3PO, all the heavy hitters are pretty much there. But you have these other parts of the fleet around. They're trying to hail Princess Leia, trying to figure out what they're going to do. But we have been told that they can't answer back if they do. The Empire will know exactly where they are, and Commander Zara will come and crush them. She is on her ship, the Tarkin's Will. We've already set up that she has a personal connection with Grand Moff Tarkin and also takes the destruction of the Death Star very personally, as a lot of the Empire would do as well. But this issue is all about finding out what that connection to Tarkin is with Azara, and we see that at one point, you ended up having Tarkin selecting three of, you know, rising officers in the Empire and taking them. He's going to mentor them. And one of the big things is the idea that they don't have any connections, no family, no friends, nothing, no entanglements. He is going to get them. He's going to see what they're all about. And he's going to pick one that he will then mentor. And Yeah, you can guess it would be Zara, but we're going to see how this works out. He takes them, the three of them, to his home planet and ends up having them hunt an albino alien gorilla that has pretty much been in these forests forever. It's become the ultimate predator. You end up sending these three off, including Zara. Zara brings the head back of this giant ape, but also kills the other two, you know, the other two officers pretty much showing Tarkin, yep, this is the one that we need. And you see as, you know, Tarkin starts going, you have Zara always there. In fact, Tarkin really relies on her a lot and really respects her for everything that she does and her opinions, even at one scene, asking, hey, Darth Vader, you should ask this Zara what she thinks. She, she's a pretty, you know, tough cookie over there. And so you see as she is doing this. Now, we get to the time frame that's pretty much right before you end up having old Luke destroy the Death Star, where Tarkin sends off Zara to get a warlord named Burnium Rowe, who's been causing a lot of problems. He's been talking a lot of crap. Ends up sending off to the Midrim, not the other rim, but the Midrim in the planet Ukaruk to take care of this warlord, and even goes and lets Zara use his ship, all these things. She has sent out probe droids all around to pretty much tail people. This is something that you see the probe droids weren't really used for before. It's kind of a thing. And even where Zara says, I don't trust people. I trust droids. They don't turn on you. Things like that that I think will end up becoming more important as we go on. Um, But she ends up, they find this warlord. They find this guy, Burnium Rowe, they were cloaked. They have a big, you know, starship. They were. Clo- they end up coming out of cloaking and then just pretty much 
just hammer him, you know, lasers, bombs, all that, bring down his entire base, his house, everything, the whole neighborhood, end up destroying everything. Then she zips back to, you know, tell Tarkin that it's all been done. Hey, I I did what you said. Now, before she left, Tarkin said, and by the way, bring me his head. And he meant that literally. She did not think so. And it kind of goes well with that original deal that put her above the competition. Now also her killing the competition did that as well. But she doesn't bring back his head. She just pretty much goes ham on his base, destroys everything. And when she comes back, he's like, well, where, where's his head? Oh, you, you really meant that? I thought you just were joking. I mean, yeah, I didn't bring back his head. And Tarkin's like, nope, you didn't bring back crap because you didn't kill him. That can't be possible I destroyed this whole place Nope, nope, that was probably a double You know, he had had assassinations And stuff like that This is why I told you to do it right You failed me, you're done Out And she goes out And as she's going around As weeks, you know, days and weeks go She sees like, all of a sudden She's been kind of pushed To, yeah, you know what You're no longer what you were we're going to demote you we're going to do all these things and one of the things that i think is kind of a neat little concept here is the idea that the rebels are attacking the death star as she is trying to get a shuttle she's trying to grab a shuttle because in her mind she's going to go out she's going to find this burning row and she she's going to bring back the head and say listen Tarkin, i failed you that time but look I had the gumption to go get him. She ended up tracking him. She knows where he is. She's trying to get a hold of Tarkin. He won't talk to her. And now they're getting attacked by the the rebels. You know, Luke's about to destroy the Death Star. And she gets in the shuttle and goes off to get Bernie Monroe. And even at this, they're like, yeah, you know, these rebels are attacking. It's so stupid of them. I mean, really, there's not going to be like a a, a little shaft that you can hit a proton. It'll never happen. And. So you end up with that going on. She goes off, and as she goes off in the shuttle, the Death Star blows up. It gets blown up. She is kind of pushed. It's almost like on the other side is where Darth is spinning around going off. But the the neat thing that I like in this is the idea in my mind that a lot of records were probably lost when the Death Star went down, right? And I think that she never got demoted because of the idea that the Death Star got destroyed and that's one of the secrets i mean it's you know a pretty big secret in my mind if this is the case but also her mentor dead and not only that but the unfinished business she wanted to prove to tarkin that she was good enough to you know have his quote-unquote not his love but his love uh and he was a father figure she even says when she talks to him that you were a little more than just a mentor like i had no family you were and so she was going off she never can do this he's dead he ended up blowing up so she'll never get that closure that she wants so with that she just wants to destroy everybody who was involved in destroying that death star and so that is a pretty cool origin for a star wars villain Uh, As you end up having them go to pretty much try to destroy Princess Leia and all that Princess Leia tried to kind of, you know, sneak up and do this maneuver to try to outwit Zara But it's with this that Zara's like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to be part of this boarding party It's a pretty cool deal It really is, and I really like this whole deal I By the end of the last arc with Luke and the Saber, all that stuff 
eh, it got a little hokey and a lot. I like this. I like Princess Leia. I well, I love Princess Leia. I like Zara, and I kind of love her as well. I think that she's pretty cool, and it gives the whole deal. Luke finds out Darth Vader's his father. He's dealing with that. Princess Leia obviously is dealing with the fleet, but this is something too that will get personal with her as well. So it gives her a lot to do. So I really like that. I thought the art was good. It's a little different change for this, but I I really like it overall. I'm going to give this an 8.5. If you're a Star Wars fan, I think that you should check this and the Darth Vader book out at least. I think that they're both really well done. So I'm going to go off now, though, and end the podcast with a book that I haven't been really that hip with. Uh, It's Donnie Cates' Thor And I've liked it enough, though. I kind of like the last issue, this little aside, this whole deal that we're doing with not that I love what's happening with Molnir, but I do like this little aside after the whole Galactus Herald stuff. We're getting more of a personal look at Thor, but also the problems that he's having with his hammer. And I said, I thought that before. We were going and we were leading into something that I think a lot of people will really enjoy. Now, I saw some things come out today and yesterday about it, so I'm not going to say that Donald Blake coming back is what I expected from what I hear, but I do like that idea going back to that. But we're going to go off now to Thor number eight. And Thor number eight is written by Donny Cates, guest art by Aaron Cooter. This is part two of two, so he's been in for these two issues. Colors by Matt Wilson and letters by VC's Joe Sabino. This is Hammerfall Part 202. Thor is the god of thunder and all father of Asgard lately. His hammer, Molnir, has been growing heavy, and so he put it to a test. And really, it's more of it being lighter for other people, more than just it being heavy for him. And I know that Brandon, when we were talking about Thor and he was still reading it, he just wants, you know, why are we keep doing this? We had unworthy Thor for a while. Now we're going to do this. But Thor threw Mjolnir down to Earth to Broxton, Oklahoma, where Asgard itself was once stationed and left a message on it asking witnesses to call Iron Man. Once Tony arrived, Mjolnir's inscription changed once again. This time Thor told the locals to pick up the hammer, which is how local mechanic Adam Aziz found himself holding a god's hammer and wearing Asgardian armor in the middle of a wheat field. And yeah, you end up getting the idea that he wants to test it, but he needs Tony to be there to protect whoever does grab it, make sure that things don't get out of hand, things like that. Because really what this issue is all about, and these two, this two-parter, I like the first part. This second part, it kind of gets Donny Cates, he's kind of throwing some stuff out there, maybe foreshadowing to what will happen, because the idea that the hammer's getting heavier for Thor, but other people can pick it up. That's trouble. You can't let that out. That's a lot of what this is about. You have Thor testing this, but then also Tony trying to keep people from, you know, filming stuff on their phones and things. He ends up EMPing, knocking out all the equipment of people around and also sending their feeds direct to a satellite that he has himself so that nobody will find this out. While Old Adam Aziz just stands around wondering what's going on. Thor does arrive, and Tony's very pissed. He's more pissed about the whole doxing of his phone number. I mean, it's Tony. You can change your phone number. I mean, this isn't something that crazy. And you would guess that Tony would think, okay, you know, something's going on here. Let me find out. Tony kind of, for the most part, until the end, 
really seems like a jerk here. And Thor even says, and what I would have thought, you're a guy I trust. You're the one I trust. Plus, you wrote on the hammer before I thought I could get you back that way. But still, it's more about the idea you're, you're a guy I can trust. And they're in the Avengers together. And it makes me laugh because one of the things that I keep bitching about is that, you know, you have Jason Aaron. Avengers where you don't get the Avengers together and the way they act towards each other here I think that that is very apparent that they really don't and haven't talked a lot lately even on the Avengers team because they don't even seem like friends here and so you end up where you get the foreshadowing like I said you're going to throw out the idea that people can pick up the hammer okay that's dangerous somebody can pick up a hammer even Tony says what happened if anybody can't let Dr. Doom, if he showed up and picked up the hammer, that's trouble. Eh, that wouldn't have happened anyway. But Tony ends up picking up the hammer at one point and he even wallops Thor right in the face. But Thor does say, listen, you know, you, you might be able to pick up the hammer. You know, yeah, you, you have your suit of armor. I'm a God. Don't forget this. And also you have the hammer, but I have the power. I still have my power. And I think that that's an important thing as we go forward with all this stuff going on. And yeah, Thor just saying, I wield the power. You're a guy in a tin suit and in the middle of a lightning storm, and there's going to be problems if you don't stop. So give me the hammer. Tony's like, all right, here you go. But maybe you should take a break. You seem tired. I mean, you almost seem like you went out and were like the herald of Galactus and then had to kill him and saw the future where you die with Thanos with the infinity hammer. I mean, that's a lot. Maybe you should take a vacation, disappear for a little. It might do you good. Well, you end up, he goes away and you have Adam Aziz there. And it's like, yeah, you know, what happens with me? I, I didn't really mean to do anything wrong. And Thor's like, no, 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 this was set up. This is kind of what I wanted to see. We're doing a test, this thing. But you want to take it for a test ride real quick? And you have a nice moment where Thor and Adam Aziz go off and start flying. And you do see in the first issue of this two-parter, you were told that Adam Aziz had spent some time in the clink. He he had done some time. Well, we find out the time was during the time when old Asgard was in Broxton. So he missed out on that. But he said, yeah, when I looked through the window when I was in prison, I saw, you know, birds and I wish I could fly. I wish I could go away. And you end up having both Thor and Adam Aziz in his Asgardian armor still using the hammer to fly. So they're flying around. They end up going to land. You have Thor, you know, guiding them through this. And he kind of, you know, crash lands. But Thor says, you did better than me my first time. You know, that was pretty good. But yeah, you have the idea too that the Molnir is not working well. And Adam Aziz, a mechanic, then says, you know what I do? Just out of nowhere. And it's it's a weird deal that obviously is going to mean something and what will happen to fix Molnir, he says, hey, what I usually do if something doesn't work like that is I turn it off and turn it back on. A lot of times that works, and Thor says, well, what if that doesn't work? Well, you hit it with a hammer. It's kind of funny to say for a hammer, but you end up having that, and, and then you end up where he depowers. Adam ends up where, you know, no more Asgardian deal. He says, I want to get my clothes. This is a little gaudy for me. I, I'm not into the fineries of Asgard, so can I have my Close and life back and Thor's like yeah Yeah you just hit the hammer on the ground and It happens boom you have that That's classic and he ends up Alright well I'll see you thanks a lot Thanks for everything you did you know check out That hammer do that advice I said And don't be a stranger 
And then as this is going, Thor is walking away and he's remembering, you know, what Tony just said. You should take a vacation. You should take a rest. Try to get away for a weekend. Then he remembers what Adam said. Most times you'll find that turning something off and turning it back on again will fix most things. Best of luck. Don't be a stranger as he thinks of Donald Blake. The big deal there. So that's what we're going to go. And you and have next issue. Nick Klein returns to kick off a brand new arc. And it is with Donald Blake. There's been a bunch of news items this week. I'm not going to spoil anything. But I ended up seeing it. And I was like, okay, we'll see what's going on. But I just, I haven't been that invested in this book. I, I, like I said, big stuff happened in that first arc. I thought Nick Klein's art was great. I like Aaron Cooter's art here. But I just... I'm not fully grabbing onto the Thor deal. If you're a Thor fan, I'd like to know if you do like this. I, I had talked to some people who are Thor fans, and they loved it. They love the Galactus stuff, especially. It ups the ante. You're doing big things with that. But I actually like this little interlude a little bit more equal because I did get to see a little bit, but not enough still. I need something more, and it's Donny Cates even with his Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like Venom, I love, but that was from the very beginning. But when the other things, you know, he ends up wanting to do big things and change mythologies and change the mythos, all the stuff. And sometimes I think that's a little bit too much when I just want to learn the character. I want to learn what's going on with it. And I hope that maybe as we go, I can get more invested, but we're eight issues in, and I'm still just not. It's not a book that I run to read. I don't hate it when I read it, but I don't love it. It doesn't get me excited. Uh, So with this, though, I'm going to give this a a positive 7 out of 10. It's okay. I I could, again, a lot of times I'll say I could go up to or I could go down just to give you the idea of the the scales. I could go down. I could go down to a 6.5 if, if I really was pressed. I don't think I'd go up past a 7, though. So that is that. But again, if you are a Thor fan and you're loving this, I'd like to hear you know, why and what you like about it. But also, if you're a Thor fan and don't like it, I'd like to hear that as well. Because I'm just, I've been trying to get into Thor. And I know there's a lot of you know old stories to read, even Jason Aaron's run, all that stuff. I'm talking about the here and now. I'm a lazy man. I, I need it to be now. So, yeah. But if you if you have some stories that you think I, I could read and end up loving things, then, yeah, you could tell me that as well. But that's it. That's it for the podcast for the bonus coverage deal. Thank you for listening. As always, I will mention the few things that we mentioned at the beginning and then one other thing. But you can go over to twitter ws marvel comics ws stands for weird science you follow us we'll follow you back and we could talk about all sorts of things including thor we have a website weird science marvel comics.com where we do reviews news and previews we have a patreon account patreon.com slash weird science you can go over to check out all of the shows you can get there as well as support us for the stuff we have on this feed the dc stuff all that, and if you sign up right now, you won't be charged right away. You'll only be charged next month, the beginning of November, if you decide to stay. If you decide to quit before then because you don't like what you hear or whatnot, you'll never be charging and use it as a free trial. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was if you want to send in any email, we haven't had a ton of email uh, lately, but it is weirdsciencemarvelcomics at gmail.com, and we'll read 
your mail on the Wednesday night show. But that is it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope that you enjoyed some comics this week. I'll be back in a couple days, Sunday night, for the X-Men show, more of the Ten of Swords stuff. So look for that. But right now, I'm going to go. Talk to you soon.